from inside the cleavage of a lot of vagina, it's the IGN DigiGuys. So please welcome two escaped convicts from Absalom, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. What an awesome reference. Corey, who's the sharp fan this week? That was written by Kareem, insert last name here. Mm, Kareem. Don't have a last name for Kareem, but thank you, Kareem. Abdul-Jabbar. No. So, you know, Chris Santucci just, uh, actually, he posted on the Facebook page. Yes. A couple days ago, a little late on the Facebook page. Yeah. And uh, he had linked to this this article Mm -hmm. at filmmatters.net about the revenge of the box set. Yes. And how box sets are kind of coming back. And... In terms of Blu-ray, they're coming back. And this article notes two box sets that, if I don't have them now, I'm, I'm going to explode. Okay. They are the Alfred Hitchcock box set. Yes. Which looks amazing. Yeah, it looks awesome. And the Universal Classic Monsters box set. Which, by the way, we have requested. We've requested both of them. Availability pending. So that's what they tell everybody. Now, of course, there's the James Bond box set mm-hmm. which looks unbelievably amazing must buy I'm sure it'll be like $300,000 oh by the way can I show you my you know what you know what else there is what there's also the um, Alf James Hitchbond can I show set. you my driver's license picture I, I know this is Alf not Alf James Hitchbond no no now I, I know this is not really uh, okay. uh, like an, an, an audio sort of a story but it involves my driver's license photo I'm now, I so, a, so scared. I needed a driver's license photo, so I went to the, I went to the DMV. Okay. And I thought, you know what? I'm, I'm a little so old. scared. I'm a little old for this, but when I get my picture taken, I'm going to try to have the dumbest look on my face as I possibly could. Okay. And you're, you're a little bit nervous, because you go to the photo line, and you know that the guys used mm-hmm. to seeing you know, teenage douchebags trying to you know, make a ridiculous face for their photo, and then the photographer says, please don't do that. You know, take a regular face. Now, I'm um, I'm I'm not a, a teenage douchebag anymore. I'm 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 a much older douchebag, and I said I'm going to make this happen. Mm-hmm. I'm going yeah. I'm going to actually arrange my face so that it looks like a smile that you know a stupid person would want. A stupid person would affect this smile. That was that was my goal, oh, and I thought I did it. Yeah. And then I got my. I got my driver's license photo. I was counting the days. And yeah. it was actually it was it was actually funny too because when I when I pulled off what I thought was the the greatest dip s the greatest douchebag driver's license smile ever. Yeah. I was so proud of myself. And then when I left the DMV, I thought to myself, am I not too old to mm-hmm. be attempting the greatest douchebag driver's license smile any, okay. ever? I think I sort of am. So Let's I counted the days until I got my driver's license photo in the mail, and it did quite come out as I had hoped. But it, it, here yeah. it is, Wade. Take a look. Okay. This is Wade actually looking at it for the first time ever. <laughs> okay, <laughs> stunned silence. I, I, I'm not. Oh, come on, it's a terrible picture. Y- have you seen mine? Let me see yours. Oh, let me, good let me, grief! Let me see, no, let me see you're not going to see mine. Photo. Really? No. You, that don't I look I, like I look like one of the vampires from Twilight. Don't I look don't I look terrified or like I'm I'm like a psycho you, you, killer? No, you look like you just had gum work done. <laughs> uh, you know what? Where's my phone? Go. I'm I'm going to take a picture. Of you know what? I'm going to take a picture of this and I'm going to actually post on the Facebook page. That's good. As for you. we record this, that's lovely. 
Now, no one will know what it is because this yeah. podcast won't post until oh, for another few hours. But I'm going to do that, Wade. Okay, you do when, that. When you talk about foreign films yeah. that no one cares about, right. I'm going to get up, grab my iPhone, take a picture, and post it to Facebook. Why don't we start doing that right now? Okay, got to right, grab my iPhone. Go. All right, we're going to start off. I'm going to roll through this real quickly. You know, I got a bunch of stuff to talk about first, but film movement, uh, and this kind of ties in with a news story as well. Um, we love the people over at Film Movement, and uh, there's a new deal going on over there. And uh, I'm going to tell you exactly what it is. Get early access to the best of the Cannes, Sundance, and Toronto Film Festivals with Film Movement's Film of the Month Club. And you can go to filmmovement.com. Film Movement is such an innovative company, and we, we love them. They come up with great titles. I'm going to talk about a few of them in a second. Um, but this is, a, this is a really interesting thing that they're doing with their Film of the Month Club because you can now stream it. And uh, I tried to get a bunch of uh, details on how this whole Movie of the Month Club streaming thing is going to work. It's, it's going to be strictly for computers, for now at least. No widgets on your internet-connected televisions, and no widgets on, um, you know, uh, uh, anything else. But, um, you, like, you know, like on the PS3 or the Wii or the Xbox or Apple TV or Roku or any of that stuff. So uh, they basically said films will be streamed directly from our website. Any mobile device that uses Wi-Fi should have no problem accessing streams from the site. Films can be watched on a TV by simply linking a computer to a television or internet-ready TVs can access streams by going directly to the website. But again, no, not if they have widgets. It has to be an internet, internet television that can go directly to the website. So um, this, is a, this is an evolving story, but uh, we love film movement. They are good people. And to tell you just how good they are, we got four titles here from uh, Film Movement. One is Amador, which won Best Director and Best Actress at the Ibero-American, uh, or the, the Guadalajara International Film Festival. This was the Ibero-American feature at the Guadalajara Film Festival. And it was also at Berlin, and uh, it's pretty good. I, I gotta say, I, uh, I think they got a great pickup here. This is from Spain. And um, it's really just a, a great little immigrant story uh, that could take place in absolutely any country in the world. And uh, very nicely put together. Also includes a uh, bonus short film from the U.S. by Gabrielle Nussbaum, which uh, has an interesting thematic tie-in to it. Uh, another great film is Queen of Hearts by Valerie Donzelli. This is uh, a French film that completely slipped by me. As everybody knows, uh, I take pride in making sure that I don't miss out on any French films. But uh, this is great. This is, uh, again, a great little tiny film, a simple story about a woman who is uh, kind of trying to um, put her life back together after a, after a really bad breakup and uh, goes and stays with her cousin. And uh, fascinating, uh, fascinating, interesting little, typically French twist to their uh, to her her efforts to reconcile herself to the breakup after that. Um, also is Before Your Eyes, which is a uh, a nice film from Turkey. Uh, Turkey makes very lyrical films, and uh, they're either an acquired taste. You either love them or you don't. But this is from a director named Miraz Bazar that I've never heard of before. Bazar, B-E-Z-A-R. No jokes, please. And um, this is a, a Kurdish story. So if you don't know the ethnic backdrop of this, you may not completely understand some of the uh, particulars as to how it plugs into Turkish culture. But uh, it is a, uh, it's a, and it's a little bit almost like uh, some Persian films, some Iranian films. So if you, if you know that, uh, that scene, you'll understand this just her horrible, horrible, depressing uh, 
just devastating family drama that I, I won't, uh, I can't really say anything about it. It'll give it all away, but it's really just a devastating story and so well told, very lyrical. And this won a bunch of awards at the uh, Istanbul International Film Festival. This one also includes a Turkish short film called uh, It's My Turn that is uh, is quite, quite, quite good. But the best of the lot, I got to say, King of Devil, Devil's Island, which is an awesome, awesome film from uh, the Norwegian director Marius Holst. And it stars Stellan Skarsgård. And it's actually based on a true story. If you've ever seen any of those uh, uh, reform school or boarding school as prison movies, they're basically prison movies except set in boys' schools. The best one ever? Which one? Well, it's sort of like this. Which? One of my all-time favorite movies. Yeah. If... If is is one of the originals of that, absolutely. But this is a, a really, really good one. It's uh, It takes place in a reform school that's uh, on an island. And uh, basically the, the story of this kid who arrives there and um, he's reportedly a murderer, but he... You don't really know what went on in his life, and he kind of leads the whole rebellion and the revolt against the the horrible, horrible headmaster slash warden played by Stellan Skarsgård, and it is just really good. It is just really beautifully done, incredibly well shot, fantastic photography. Um, I just can't re- recommend this film uh, highly enough. Also includes a 15-minute uh, short film from the UK called um, Bale, as in um, the guy who stars as Batman now. Anyway, those are so those are uh, a great bunch of films from uh, Film Movement. And then also, I want everybody to know New Yorker is back. Mark, New Yorker is back. Ooh. You have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? New Yorker uh, video, New Yorker films, as anybody might remember, went bankrupt a few years ago. They went under. And that entire library has been selling on eBay for like 100 bucks and 200 bucks, And no one knows what, uh, you know, nobody knew what, to, what to, was going to come of it. Well, anyway, they're back. I'm not quite sure what the business plan is that has brought them back, but they're back with a, a fantastic bunch of uh, new titles and uh, new releases of old titles. And uh, they uh, all come in these really cool eco packages, which I normally don't particularly like, but I think they do a really good job of it. They make it kind of cool and not so flimsily eco-y. Um, included here is a great film by Mercedes Alvarez, The Sky Turns, which um, is, uh, you know, Kind of a weird, magical, realistic um, Spanish-language film from 2005 that did very, very well at a lot of uh, festivals. It, um, it It's something of an acquired taste, but if you like those kinds of films, you'll love it. October by Daniel and Diego Vega was, uh, was a big deal at Cannes. This won the uh, jury prize in the Uncertain Regard section. And um, even if you may look at it and go, they've misspelled October. Um, no, this is a Peruvian film, beautifully done, a uh, little bit quirky, and some great special features on here. Um, not to take up too much more time, we've got uh, Tibet. Oh, no, wait, keep going, this is great. Uh, are you taking a picture? Are you doing I did. Thing? You did already. Oh, well, me you're posting it right myself, now? and then I'm going to put it on Facebook. Okay, okay, let me know when you're done, and then I will, uh, I'll wrap it up. Uh, Tibet in song is uh, exactly what you would think it is. Um, this is from a former political uh, prisoner who uh, tells you the story of Tibetan folk music, and it's not all just that, you know, throat yodeling and all that kind of stuff. It's really a, a lovely film. Uh, Straub and Huye uh, are one of the most remarkable film-making duos of the last 50 years or so, and uh, nobody's heard of them because they, they are kind of in the Bob Kohler realm, you know? They, very, they, very, very, very obscure. Very obscure, but very talented. This is a 1975 uh, German language film of theirs called Moses and Aaron, an opera in three acts by Arnold Schoenberg. 
Oh, God, that sounds so pretentious. That <laughs> just sounds terrible. And you know what? It's a filmed opera about Moses and Aaron. Uh, uh, the Ar- Moses Malone and, the, and the, Boone? The Arnold Schoenberg opera. It's, uh, it's a film I had no idea ever existed because obviously their work is very much an acquired taste, but I thought it was uh, beautifully done, although a little bit taxing in the, in the patient's department. Uh, Michael Sledek's film Con Artist is... Uh, Really, just this thing would have been a, a great movie in the 1970s. It's a weird, freaky kind of quasi-documentary, quasi-comedy um, that it just is no way to explain this. It's it's really peculiar. Um, this guy, uh, Mark Kostabi, uh, was some kind of artist in the 1980s, uh, and I never heard of him. But uh, now it's it's just about how he is trying to somehow make himself some kind of a weird art performance uh, icon once again. And then we have uh, what I think is absolutely an extraordinary movie, Paraiso, by Leon Aichaso. Uh, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing everyone's name in this, but, uh, you know, Leon Aichaso is a, is just an extraordinary director. Spanish-language film from 2009, and uh, this is just, like, one of the best thrillers you will ever see not in English. Um, this was the final film in his so-called Cuban trilogy. goes along with the films El Super and Bitter Sugar, and Bitter Sugar is the one that most people have seen. Um, really, this is just gritty, gritty, intense, uh, gripping, beautifully shot filmmaking, and uh, it just, uh, from 2009, didn't really get the exposure that it should have gotten, but it's, uh, it's just fantastic. So that's a great bunch of films out there from New Yorker. Welcome back, New Yorker. I, but they don't have um, they don't have red sorghum anymore. I don't know who has red sorghum. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Now red sorghum, at least that's a film that we've all heard of. Yes. Well, red sorghum they released theatrically when it was first released in nineteen. What was it? Eighty six. Something like that. Eighty six. Yeah. All right. I just all posted right. my driver's license photo on the. Um, Good for you. Facebook, Digigod's Facebook page. Good for you, Mark. Thank T- you so much. Tell I, us about tell us about I, music on Blu-ray. I really feel I've accomplished a lot in life when I get to do things like that. Um, now, everybody knows Bachman-Turner Overdrive. And the reason why people know Bachman-Turner Overdrive is because they had one hit. I'm taking care of business, Mark. Every day. And uh, the Overdrive is gone. They're probably too old for Overdrive. So now they're just Bachman and Turner. And uh, Bachman and Turner have a new uh, Blu-ray. This was recorded live at the Roseland Ballroom in New York City. And this does have a bunch of their hits. Of course, it ends with taking care of uh, business. Rolling down the highway, you know, I guess that was an okay song. Um, American Woman, you know what? Okay, American Woman. I'll give him that one. I don't like American, you know what? I don't like American Woman anymore. I, I used to like that song, now I don't, it's kind of lame. I've, by the way, I've decided that the doors are lame. I used to love the doors, and then I turned on the doors. I now don't like the doors. I'm over their music. You, you, you turned on the doors? Yes, I did. Does that make them a... a I turned them on. Does that make them a, a turnstile now? Yes, very good. Revol- uh, revolving doors? Anyway, Bachman uh, and Turner. This is uh, 2010, so this is high great if they, if they came back as the sliding doors, the sliding glass doors? God, just shut up. Okay, Stone Temple Pilots. I like Stone Temple Pilots. They're a good band. Oh, I like them a lot. You, you know the story about that, right? Huh? Like uh, Stone Temple Pilots, STP. Yes, I do know. You that know that story. story? Shirley Temple, yeah, something or other. That's, that's the one. That's great. I, I love don't that even story. know how true that. It sounds apocryphal <laughs> to me. I don't know. Like it, it's like it's accepted to Funny be. Funny though, right? It's people say it's true, but I think people sort of know it's really not true. Yeah. Anyway, it's still uh, funny. I do like Stone Temple Pilots, and this is from uh, 2000 
and 10. So it's looking good and it's sounding good. And there's a bonus feature here, interview with the band. I do like them. I like Plush. I really like Interstate Love Song. I like their hits. I think they're cool. Um, so there you go. This is from uh, Chicago, again in 2010. And uh, I'm totally into it. I do like Stone Temple Pilots. Now, Wade, when I was in Chicago last month, I saw Roger Waters performing The Wall live at Wrigley Field, one of the best concert experiences I've ever had. And here on Blu-ray, we have Pink Floyd, nothing to do with The Wall, but still very worthwhile. Pink Floyd, the story of Wish You Were Here. Now, Wish You Were Here was their album from 1975, and this had pretty much kind of the original lineup, Nick Mason, Richard Wright, Roger Waters, David Gilmore. And, uh, you know, it was a really popular album. Stayed in the U.S. charts for over a year. Uh, number one hits. It's thing's got an enduring legacy. It's a great album. And if you want to know all about the making of Wish You Were Here, then you should uh, check out uh, Pink Floyd, The Story of Wish You Were Here. This is the Pink Floyd album, for those who don't know, that has the famous um, cover of two guys shaking hands, and one of them is on fire. Not like CGI on fire. He's actually on fire. And uh, there you go. So Pink Floyd, The Story of Wish You Were Here, uh, very highly recommended. Also, Duran Duran, they attempted a comeback a couple years ago um, with Ordinary uh, I, I, I World. Swear, I think, I think their, their new stuff is so good, and no one's listening to it. Have it's I told so you, good. Have I told you I once saw Simon Le Bon naked? Did you really? I never told the story on the show. Okay. Hold on. <laughs> you Dude, digging I'm getting, in? I'm getting comfortable. Are you digging in? Yeah. So this is a long time ago. This is back when they were, you know, sort of super popular right so i was a producer on mm-hmm. a talk show yeah. <laughs> later on nbc when you're done with this i'll tell my story about hearing john woo fart in the bathroom so go on yeah but th- that's not as interesting i've got a natural segue because yeah, i'm talking ahead. about duran duran live okay. 2011 diamond in the mind yes anyway so simon show i was producing simon on a show simon shows up and my job on the show as the person who had written and produced the interview mm-hmm. was to greet him sure take him to the green room brief him on the show, get right. him out to the stage, whatever. Right. So I introduced myself. I, I can't remember if he pre-interviewed. Anyway, he shows up, and he shows up in street clothes, whatever. Sure. And I take him to the green room, and I'm like, all right, Simon. Uh, you know, ch- Simon's like, I have to change into my rock and roll costume now. That was like his funny way of saying he's got to change into his like, leather sure. pants, whatever. Right. So i like, all right, Simon. You know, go ahead and change. I'll close the door, and when you're done... Uh, I'll come back and we'll go over the show. He goes, no, no, just stay here. And so I was like, you mean like, I'm thinking like, stay here like right outside the door while you get naked and change into your leather rock and roll pants? And no, he pretty much meant that because he's been on tour for 25,000 years and, you know, and has done everything with everybody and ingested every drug and doesn't care and has seen it all. He's like, basically he's just saying, look, you know, we're all professional. Yeah. Just come in, close the door behind you, and I will change into my rock and roll garb while you go over the show. So I'm like, okay. So I go in, close the door, and Simon takes his pants off, and I see Simon's bum. Mm-hmm. Simon's tight, little shapely bum. <laughs> and then I go over the show. Okay, that's my Simon story. That's great. And how's the Blu-ray? Great. It's uh, live from 2011, so it's, it's a bit past their prime, but you realize when you... Check this out, how many hits they really did have. Hungry Like the Wolf and Wild Boys, Rio, you know, uh, The Reflex. I never liked Reflex. Um, 
A View to a Kill. I, I liked A View to a Kill. That song was a good song. That is a great song. It is. A terrific Bond theme. Yes. For an unbelievably bad movie. Yeah. <laughs> the best thing about that movie. Oh, anyway, all right. This is uh, Duran Duran Live uh, 2011, A Diamond in the Mind. Good stuff. Good stuff. Okay, so you heard John Woo fart? Yeah, I, I was at, I was in the bathroom at uh, Lantana. I don't remember, even remember what movie I was seeing, but there's a bathroom right next to the screening room over there, and uh, I'd, I'd walked in, and John Woo was there mixing, I think, the Vietnam thing that he did with Nick Wind, Cage. Wind Talkers? Wind Talkers, yeah. He was there mixing that or doing some kind of post on it, and he walked in and went over to the urinal and, and just... Made a whole. There you go. And I and I thought, <laughs> I thought and I thought, uh, wow. How many people can say they were uh, privileged to that audible? Oh, look at that! I know. We're, we're we're getting right to it, man. We're getting uh. right to it. Actually, no. I'm gonna uh, just make a quick comment about a couple of documentaries first, uh, both from First Run Features. A fantastically gorgeous, wonderful documentary called "Voices of the Andes" by Stefan Pacho or Paco. Uh, this is a journey on the Capacnan, the Great Inca Road, which uh, is just like a wonderful travelogue. Frankly, it's just it's it's amazing. It, this thing, it, these are roads that just go forever, forever, forever. And the Andes are such a wonderful, weird, beautiful, wild, totally unusual mountain range, unlike anything else in the in the world. And of course, there's a lot of archaeology here uh, relative to the Incas. And uh, you know what? Uh, you got to check it out. And it's quick, 78 minutes. It, it rolls by. And then a really really cool doc that I uh, got to review for radio as well on uh, KPCC. Uh, how much does your building weigh, Mr. Foster? This is by Norberto Lopez Amado and Carlos Carcas. And uh, if you are any kind of a student of architecture, you definitely know uh, the name of the amazing Norman Foster, who is a British architect who has done some of the most astonishing uh, architectural work in history, including the Reichstag in Berlin and the Beijing airport and... Uh, uh, the Hearst Building in New York, the Swiss Tower in uh, in London. I mean, really amazing stuff. And uh, this is a fascinating look at his his upbringing, his life, his legacy, um, his inspirations. It's and you know how basically the guts of how he does such extraordinary work. And uh, I love architecture. I just think it's one of the the great kind of unsung arts. And this is one of the great films I've ever seen about architecture. Gotta tell you. What? Can I read some mail? You want to read some mail? Well, you know, I keep this mail in my inbox thinking that we're going to read it someday. Okay. And, uh, well, go, I want to go read it now. Fly. Fly. Okay. Fly with the mail. We, we're going to have a Vox box later, too, by the way. Hey, up too soon. Yeah, too soon. Hit, the, hit us with mail. Okay. Well, we have uh, from Peter Kozaris. Kozaris? Kozaris. It is not. I guess. I'm just fine. Go ahead. Carry on, mailman. That's what Mr. K says. Hey, DigiGods, I felt compelled to write in and elaborate on the Canadian content article I wrote about a few weeks back. Mm. This requirement, quote, was put in place to protect Canadian culture and heritage from the dominating American landscape that we Canadians tend to import via television, film, music. Some also claim the very existence of these regulations indicate a lack of confidence that Canadian content can compete in Canada based on merit alone. Uh, happy belated Independence Day. It's, it really is funny how it's, you know, the, the, the French are the same way. 
they're very protective of their of their homegrown product. And I actually uh, wrote him back because you know I wrote that article, uh, the unusual province of Canadian film, for the LA Times a bunch of years ago. And I was hoping that someone would pick up and and realize that there was a Canadian new wave that was you know exploding. And of course, I'm the only person that appears to have declared their like Adam the McGoyan. Well, no, it was Adam McGoyan. I mean, it was it was a whole bunch of them actually. You know, there's the the, 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 the like a whole subculture. You know, the uh, the guy who did uh, Red Violin is part of that. Um, Cronenberg you know, is Canadian. Cronenberg is sort of kind. Of, he's sort of a pre predecessor to that. But there's a lot of uh, a lot of the stuff from uh, Quebec uh, figures into that. It's really the TV stuff. The the TV well, stuff the, is what the, bothers me. You know the thing the thing that's really distressing to me. And and I responded back to him. You know because there was a, a period of the tax credit era that sort of preceded this new wave. And the tax credit era was this misguided attempt to do just this, which wound up creating a lot of really bad hyper commercial movies that nobody wanted to see, and a lot of really bad television. Um, but, uh, you know, then you started pe- getting people like Adam McGoyan and Don McKellar. And I think Don McKellar, who co-wrote The Red Violin and directed The Amazing Last Night, um, is, is a great talent. But these guys all wound up falling into television. It's weird. I, I, it's very distressing to me. The, the Canadian New Wave kind of fell apart, and I'm still trying to get people to acknowledge that there was one. Well, they're Canadian. They're lazy. Yeah. All right. Uh, Alexander Berlika, uh, I mentioned this only because it was a very nice thing to do. I'm late responding, but we'll do it here. Before we depart for the long weekend, I want to take a minute of your time and wish you guys and your loved ones a happy and safe Fourth of July. Hope the fireworks are awesome. Very sweet. Thank you, Alexander. There you go. We appreciate it. And who else we got? Well, oh, by the way, I do want to say we have a winner of the ice cream scoop, Wade. I had no idea the avalanche, the avalanche of emails. I want the ice cream scoop. The world, it, 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 it was billed on the, on the IGN website as our worst giveaway ever. And uh, the winner is Tavrainy. Way to go, Tab. Tab Rainey's going to get the ice cream scoop. The Very worst cool. ice cream scoop ever. <laughs> it really is. Okay. Uh, any more letters? Wade. Yeah, I got a couple over here. Uh, ben Thompson said, I agree with your assessment of Prometheus's disappointments, but in the end, I did enjoy the overall movie, despite the ambiguities and stupid special effects monster moments at the end. That's why we waited to read this now, because I figure everyone's seen it by now. I, I also think it's a terrible idea to make a sequel following Sean David. Their discussion saying a sequel might be possible. My question is, if there is unfortunately a sequel, would you like it to repl- to follow Rapace and Fassbender, be another spinoff directly leading to Alien or something else? Personally, I think it should be left alone for good with its plot holes and octopus creatures. Second question, on the subject of marketing, I've never seen a home video incentive like they did for Prometheus with free tickets attached to the pre-order. Do you think this strategy will catch on in the future, and is it a good idea for consumers of the studio? Thanks. Uh, it's Ben Thompson. I, I, to the first, I think we both agree they should leave it alone. Just leave it the F alone. Don't do any more. I, I don't think there's a choice. I don't think the film did well enough to justify it. No, I don't it. think I mean, so it either. Was not, it was not. You know what? I think they were hoping for Inception-type numbers. This summer, think about everything that has tanked this summer. They have all tanked. Prometheus tanked. Battleship tanked. John Carter of Mars tanked. Men in Black 3 tanked. Abraham Lincoln, Men Vampire Black, Hunter tanked. Yeah, well, Abraham Lincoln. But Men in Black 3, they can always look on the worldwide numbers. It's, it's been like $600 yeah, million It doesn't worldwide. matter. It doesn't matter. It, it's, it's, it's not going to be worth the money that they spent on it. The Avengers, big hit. But what are the other hits? Well, they're all like independent things or else things that they never would have expected to be hits. It's they like Best Exotic Marigold Hotel and Moonrise Kingdom. And I love Moonrise isn't Kingdom. Isn't that great? It's so good. These are the movies that are succeeding. The movies that they should be making more of, these dumb idiots. Even Spider-Man. You know, uh, Spider-Man will be good. That'll make money. Yeah, it'll make money, yeah. but will it... Are you now begging for... Are you now begging for a Spider-Man sequel? 
Look, Andrew any Garfield. movie that puts those two actors in a movie together, I'm fine with. I'm sure you are. I'm fine with. And then also we wanted to make mention of uh, an email we got from Chevelle Dixon. We had an exchange with Chevelle about all of the, uh, the aging actors out there that wound up having an unfortunate and unexpected coda to it. Um, Chevelle had written us and... Um, and said, um, I decided to watch History of the World Part 1, and I saw it says Caesar in it and wondered if he's still around if, at the age of 89. I wonder how many other great older actors we still have with us today, and there are so many and so few of them still acting. Uh, and there are so, so many, and few of them are still acting. Here are a few of those actors and actresses still with us today. And he went and he made a list, and he came up with some others, including you know Doris Day and Olivia de Havilland, who's 96, Phyllis Diller, who's 94, Omar Sharif is 80, Ernest Borgnine... 95 I and know. then days later he died you killed him uh, but also on the list you know Eli Wallach who we always we make fun lo- of <laughs> I emailed him back saying yeah. every time Wade and I see Eli Wallach in a movie he was in the, he was in the, the Wall Street sequel he's, he's been 90, he was in the Wall Street sequel he's and, been 96 for the last 40 years and we when yeah. he showed up in the Wall Street sequel you and I sitting in the theater yeah. together looked at each other and just were like, you've got to be kidding me. Angela Lansbury, 86, and I just the other day watched Gaslight again. It was on television. We sat down. We just watched it straight through. She was 17 in Gaslight. That was her film Does debut. Does she work anymore, Angela and, Lansbury? Oh, yeah, she absolutely. Really? Yeah. But uh, in honor, then, of uh, Chevelle Dixon's great question and great uh, observation and Ernest Borgnine's untimely passing, uh, he is no longer on that list, Mark. Ernest Borgnine movie. Uh, well. Are we going to make a pick? Well, my pick is obvious only because I have That's everyone's pick. Only because I've been compared to him <laughs> uh, Marty. Yeah. That's which it. Which won uh, Ernest Borgnine the Academy Award. It's Marty. I mean, he's just so amazing in it. And, you know, Rod Steiger played that part on television and did a great job, an amazing job. But, you know, it's, it, 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 that part belongs to Ernest Borgnine. It just really belongs to him. He just made it his own and he's so wonderful in it. Everything, just everything clicks. Now, I, I, wait, hang on. Before we move on to the movie that you're not going to let me have, I want to give a shout-out to Rodney Northern. Oh, yeah. Now, a couple weeks ago, I wondered how Bob became the shortened version of Robert. Oh, yes. He schooled us, man. He schooled us. Yeah. And uh, Rodney did a great job. He uh, gave us a wiki link and told us about how Robert is originally a Norman French name that meant of bright fame and how it got uh, pronounced in contemporary French and German and Spanish, and he really went to town telling us how uh, Robert became Bob, or Bob became Robert, or Bob Roberts, starring uh, uh, Tim Robbins. Great movie. There's that, too. Tim Robbins' directing debut. That is true. But uh, I wanted to um, give Rodney a shout-out and say thank you for that, because that was awesome. And now you're in our club. (laughs) You're on our Digigods club. You betcha. Yes, Wade? Mark? What? Today, Chariots of Fire, the Warner Blu-ray book, that is, is released. awesome. I love this movie. This is, uh, this is the legendary 1981 Best Picture winner. Upset. An upset a Best Picture winner. A huge upset. This was the la- I, I think this was... Uh, you could technically argue that Driving Miss Daisy was an upset winner. Um, you could technically argue that Shakespeare in Love was an upset winner. You know, I still remember uh, they, they brought out Harrison Ford for Shakespeare in Love to, to read Best Picture, expecting that he was going to hand uh, Saving Private Ryan to his buddy Steven Spielberg. And he looked up with, with his shock in his eyes and said, Shakespeare in Love. Almost like it was a question mark. Eh. Shakespeare in Love? And next thing you know, Harvey Weinstein's walking up there to celebrate, and Spielberg has that dire look on his face. But in truth, 
that wasn't an upset. Everyone knew Shakespeare in Love was going to win. I think they really, I think everyone except the Academy. I remember we all said it's going to be Shakespeare in Love. Driving Miss Daisy wasn't a huge uh, upset either. That was, you know, at least the, this, the other film in the running. Chariots of Fire was not one of the two films anyone expected to win. Well, he, well he, this was supposed to be, had. it was supposed to be Reds, Reds. or On Golden Pond. But even Raiders. Even Raiders. Now, no one thought Star Wars would win yeah. back in the day. It was just the popular hit that yeah. sort of deserved it. Yeah. But you had Reds. Yeah. Raiders, on Golden Pond, yep. Atlantic City, which would never win anyway, nah, nah. and Chariots of Fire, and everybody. I, I remember watching that with my father. My father was such a huge fan. I remember him, who was not an emotional man. When he, when they read Chariots of Fire was the name, he literally just screamed. Yep. He was so happy. Well, this is, of course, a beautiful Blu-ray book. The, the booklet part of it is just sensational, you know, uh, but ultimately it's about the Blu-ray. And here's the thing that, that is really going to set everybody on fire here. Now, Chariots of Fire is widely believed to have won in what was a split vote. A lot of people think that there was a big chunk that went to, uh, uh, to Reds and a big chunk that went to On Golden Pond. And the Chariots of Fire basically came right up the gut and, and succeeded because that was the A-list vote. The A-list vote was split between those other films. But also, I don't think this would have won without Vangelis' score. That score became such an iconic thing on the radio and in pop culture, and everyone was making fun of it, and it was being spoofed, and it was so iconic, it elevated the movie in everyone's consciousness to where that kind of a, a British period art film never would have, uh, never would have been. And without that music, it wouldn't have won. And the music, of course, won an Oscar over, uh, you know, John Williams in, uh, in Raiders, that iconic Raiders score. And the other interesting thing, and I had a conversation with uh, my friend Michael Venables on this, um, the music on the soundtrack that you would buy in the, the, the CD, not the same as the score. It was a different performance. At least some of it was a different, and some of it sounds like it was the same, and some of it sounds like it may have been edited. So the question is, did the movie succeed because of the music in the movie or the music that people heard on the radio, which was not necessarily exactly the same as the music in the movie? You following me? Uh, not really. Okay. Well, the good news is there's an isolated score here. So you can listen to the actual movie score as the movie is playing as an isolated score, which you will notice is different in many key ways from the more truncated, uh, marketable stuff that is on the CD, which is a great touch. A lot of stuff here that's been out before, the commentary by director Hugh Hudson and uh, a few uh, original featurettes, deleted scenes, screen tests, stuff like that. But we got new featurettes on here, too. Three terrific new featurettes. One is called Hugh Hudson, Journey to the Gold. Looking back, David Putnam, a cinematic champion, uh, looking at the, uh, the film's producer, David Putnam, who uh, now just works with all kinds of arts uh, liaison stuff with the British government and uh, lottery over there. He isn't really producing anymore, which I think is a tragedy. Putnam also briefly ran Columbia Pictures in a very scandalous period when uh, he was then unceremoniously fired by Coca-Cola. But I think that was a great period because he shepherded The Last Emperor to an Oscar in 1987. Um, but uh, also a new featurette called Paris 1924, Birth of the Modern Olympics, which looks back on the actual Olympics from uh, 1924 that the film is based on, the, uh, the characters from that period. And it's all just in time, obviously, for the London Olympics. So I think this is, um, I think this is great. And it's, uh, it is just a fantastic release. The transfer is first rate. And it even comes with a four-song CD sampler that is utterly useless. But this movie is great. It still holds up. And uh, one of my favorite films of all time. Of all time, Mark. Can I say something uh, controversial? Go ahead. Say it. The, uh, the Vangelis score. Yep. The, the main theme. Yeah. Unbelievable. Right? Yeah. Un unforgettable. Yeah. 
A lot of the other score, lame. That yeah. that the 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 cue where Ian Holm is walking around the track as all the athletes are kind of warming up. That little electronic Lame. thing. Yeah. Lame. You know, I uh, I'm I'm gonna defend it until the day I die because I've <laughs> I've been a Vangelis lunatic since I was a kid. You like and, all that weird French crap well, that everybody I, hates. But I love I, I fell in love with Vangelis when I first discovered him, which is when I was a kid and I was watching Cosmos on television. Billions and billions. And there was a lot of Vangelis stuff from uh, various albums like Albedo and Heaven and Hell that were used on uh, and on Cosmos. And when I found out, you know, I was like, who is this? Greek maniac, bought all the albums, you know, listened to them a billion times. So I'm uh, I'm a Vangelis defender. I've seen him in concert, by the way, at Royce Hall. Extraordinary. Uh, I was there with Diane Cannon, not with Diane Cannon, but you know, we were in the same uh, you same be. row. Jeremy Irons was there wearing a, a red velvet blazer. I'll never forget that day. Of course he was. Memorable, absolutely memorable. Um, also out is Big Miracle, and uh, Big Miracle is kind of a big dud. This is based on that whole affair where the whales were caught in the Arctic up in Alaska and uh, it became like a big media thing and they had to like break the ice to help rescue the whales. It's a, you know, anyway, Ted Danson's the big evil uh, corporate guy and uh, Drew Barrymore is the environmentalist and John Krasinski is, you know, he's got a history with Drew Barrymore and he's a reporter and honestly the whole thing is just a great big saccharine formulaic piece of junk. A lot of money was thrown at this, and I don't think they got a whole lot out of it, but it's out there on Blu-ray, DVD, and digital copy. I, I will say this, yeah, it's fine as a family movie. And uh, all these family movies always find some somebody who's willing to give them some kind of family-friendly uh, stamp of approval. In this case, they got the Heartland Film Festival's Truly Moving Picture Award, which is lovely, but it's still a crappy movie, but it won't offend the kids, so I guess that's worth something. But I want to offend the kids. Maybe. Oh, wait, Guy Madden is a... Um, Lunatic. Canadian filmmaker. Yeah. And he's strange. He's really odd. That, 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 that movie, by the way, that you have in your hand there, Keyhole, um, that's his first digital film. So all the scratchy 16-millimeter black-and-white look, it's gone, and I think that, that film totally suffers because of it. Yeah, I kind of agree. Uh, Guy Madden makes incredibly stylized black-and-white films that look like nothing you've ever seen unless you're from like the early 1900s. Uh, his more popular films include My Winnipeg, which I liked a lot, The Saddest Music in the World. Those are both good. They're both good. This, this thing is just like a rambling, weird, surreal piece you know, of junk. I think it, it seems like sometimes when these guys get older, yeah, they lose that razor edge. Yeah. You know? And I think with Guy Madden, this one, which has a good cast, you know, uh, Isabella Rossellini stars in a bunch of his films. You have Jason Patrick and Udo Kier. Who doesn't yeah. love Who doesn't love them? Some Udo Kier. <laughs> uh, anyway, it's about it's it's a gangster story. It's Guy. I, I, I've told my Udo Kier story many times before, but I'm you not have? gonna. Yeah. Anyway, here's the thing. Uh, Keyhole, when, I did the, when I did the featurette on the last call, the the. the when, we were, when you were, I was wrangling you as the rampaging yeah. extra on the last call, you know, I, I I interviewed Udo for the featurettes on that. I did all the I did all the uh, the onset interviews for the for the DVD stuff, and Udo was one of them. And he picked up the stray cat from Lacey Street Studios and put it on his lap. And of course, it shed all over his his uh, his wardrobe. And uh, you know, when I when I said, could you just for the for the record state your name, please? I just need to say my name is everyone. Uh, spell your name. I said spell your name. I need to spell my name. I'm Udo Kia. Everyone knows who Udo Kia is. <laughs> Sound like something he'd say. <laughs> uh, anyway, Guy Madden. I like Guy Madden. I like My Winnipeg, and I like uh, Saddest Music in the World. I would rent those and introduce yourself to the crazy, strange, black and white 
grainy, scratchy world of Guy Madden before yeah. you check out Keyhole. Yeah, it's not. It's kind of uh, Wanderlust on Blu-ray. This is um, <laughs> this oh. is not a good movie. It's uh, directed by David Wayne and uh, it was produced by um, uh, one of the guys who did Forty Year Old Virgin. And uh, in this one, we have Jennifer Aniston, who is the kiss of death for any romantic comedy, <laughs> and Paul Rudd, who I like. Yeah, I like Paul Rudd. Who I doesn't? like Paul Rudd a lot. Anyway, Paul Rudd loses his job, and uh, and he and the wife, you know, hit the road, and they wind up at this uh, this kind of hippie community where they run into like all sorts of crazy people, like oh, uh, they, you know, but they find love again. Well, they kind of find love. It sort of rips them apart and then brings them together again. Now, this movie co-stars Justin Theroux. Now, as you know, Justin Theroux. Yeah, he's and Jennifer the, Aniston yeah. are an item. He's the hippie guru guy in the movie. Yes. He's actually quite funny. Yeah, the, you know, this movie is not horrible. It just, it's just not that funny. No. He is, though. Thoreau makes the movie. Uh, we've got a thing here called Cat Runs. Lame. Saw it. <laughs> Lame. <laughs> it is. Starring Paz Okay, that was the most funny. hostile dismissal. It's the worst. Uh, I, I actually reviewed this for Box Office Magazine. You know, what, is, what happened to John Stockwell? I mean, he's a good director. Why? 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 I Mark, do not why? know. I, why Spock? Why? Yeah, why? Well, let's see what his, 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 I In my <laughs> review, I called it dreadful. Terrible. Actually, I said, inside the dreadful action comedy cat run, there are three terrible action comedies struggling to get out. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Oh, here, here, let's see. Oh, uh, Stockwell has created a loud, ugly, and terrible movie that doesn't skillfully juggle its various elements. It throws them, at the, it throws them violently at your face and calls it Edge. What else did I say? Oh, all sorts of crazy bad things. Catron is so aggressively, is aggressively miscalculated. Its creative defeat is total. Well, I normally like John Stockwell, and uh, I don't much like this movie. I agree with your assessment, but uh, I do like Paz Vega. I will say that. I do like Paz Vega. I yeah. think she's good in it. I think she's better here than she was in Spanglish, which was just horrible, um, but still not being used correctly. So somebody's got to go find that actress a, a really good role. Oh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a Blu-ray. Not, uh, not a Blu-ray DVD combo, just Blu-ray. <laughs> not, that's all they sent us. Don't worry. Don't worry. Not worth your time. Someday there'll be a green ray, and you'll have to buy that too, Wade. Wade uh, and I saw Jeff, who lives at home, and I like the Duplass brothers. Wade does not like the Duplass brothers. So I was ready to like this film, because I, as much as I really want to hate their shtick, have you seen, I, have I you wind seen, up liking their shtick. Did you see the dodecapentathlon? Not yet. Did you okay, see it? Yeah, I saw it. I'll, I'll comment when you're done talking about this this brother movie, because that's another brother movie. Movies about brothers who can't get along. One of them that they did with real actors, and the other one they spent four years doing with non-actors, and they're both equally annoying. So there's no point. No point to the time or the money that they spend on their movies. Well, Jason Siegel and Ed Helms play brothers. Uh, Jason Siegel, as you can imagine, is the schlubby one, and Ed Helms is the uh, more, you know, sort of uptight, straight-laced one. And uh, Jeff believes in, um, in you know, in how the universe determines, uh, you know, his fate and his path in life, and that's how he looks at life. And so he sort of wanders around town on, on one particular day looking for his fate to come to him. Blah, blah, blah. And he winds up uh, kind of walking all around town and stumbling into these crazy adventures and eventual enlightenment. And uh, I just didn't like this movie. I couldn't stand it. Thing and is that it it it, 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 I never quite believed them as brothers. It, it builds to it builds which to. Which is the same. A, pro, that's the same problem in the dodeca pentathlon too, right? by the way. Yeah. 
it builds to a climax that it it, it builds to a um, it builds to an ending that made everything before it seems so manufactured. Mm-hmm. It's like the movie is manufactured to get you to that point. I agree. And I didn't really uh, appreciate that. And the dodecapentathlon, same problem. By the way, here was the annoying thing with the dodecapentathlon, which I won't say too much about because we'll talk about it when it comes out. But um, I had to talk about it on the radio. They weren't having any screenings because obviously they couldn't afford to. So here's how I had to watch the movie. They send you a link from Deluxe, the lab, right? So you get a link to the Deluxe website with a password. which And, and there are four... Um, four little screens. So they have the movie split into four chunks. You have to watch it in four 20-minute segments. Really? So you click on the one, and then it asks you to enter the password. You enter the password, and suddenly you get this horrible low-res streaming of a movie that already looks like crap. So it's, it's, it's all pixelated and, and, and noisy. And you watch it on your computer screen uh, for 20 minutes, and then it stops. And then you got to click on the next thing, and you got to enter the password again. You watch another 20 minutes, and then it stops. And I will say it was good for snacks, in between, but what a whole, like, truly, do they, it, is this a security measure they need to take for this film? Is there just a, a swarm of pirates in China waiting to just, <laughs> just flood the world with pirated copies of Dodecapentathlon? Are you kidding me? Seriously? They, they, they actually may, may have so little money that they can't even bring I'm, DVDs of it. I'm sure. I'm sure. Anyway. Um... An absolutely terrific film that just got, like, no traction is Here, starring Ben Foster and Lubna Azabal, whom I've never heard of before. Uh, This did extremely well at Sundance and Berlin. It is, you know what? It's just a simple road trip romance. But here's the the glory of this. Um, It's different from any other road trip romance because, number one, it's shot in Armenia, which is such a beautiful, exotic locale. And Ben Foster has never had a role like this before. He's always playing like these weird, aloof uh, bad guys or good guys turned bad. He's the guy who's selling out his friend or he's the guy who's, you know, selling drugs or whatever because he's got that kind of edge to him. And this is just such a wonderful, I mean, he's just an engineer here. And uh, Lubna Azabal is a photographer. And there's a weird kind of, uh, it almost feels a little bit like walkabout in some respects. But it really, it's just a fantastically beautiful uh, film directed by Braden King, who I think has a great future. And it's not on Blu-ray, because Strand is not doing that yet with uh, all of their their films. Um, There's a few of them, but not all of them, not enough. So um, we unfortunately only get this on DVD, but it is totally worth it. And it is totally worth it for the length. It's over two hours long, and it's wonderful for the full length. So just absolutely a terrific film. Beautiful. Wow. Wait. I know, right? Right. Fuh. (laughs) Blah. Oh, wait. I'm a big fan of Tom Cruise. I always have been. I I do not apologize for it. And uh, one of his best... He's getting a divorce. He's getting divorced, and uh, well, He settled. Well, he better, because there's a whole lot of secrets I can come out about that guy. (laughs) You want to get your ass out of spotlight as soon that as you can. That was really a, a good move, I gotta say. You don't jump on somebody else's couch in five years when you meet your next. Uh, yep. When 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 you meet your next wife, who you will then divorce when she turns thirty three. You realize that all of his wives he left yeah. when they when they turned thirty three. We we know the whole story here. I mean, it's is, is the contract situation not even a secret anymore. I well, so probably the contract was ten years. Yeah, but, well, but, she, uh, she pulled a fast one. She, Anyway, uh, Universal is continuing their impressive, I like these, 100th anniversary um, special releases, 
with uh, Born on the Fourth of July. This was one of uh, Tom Cruise's, you know, first, if not his first, super serious role. And I think he's great in it. I think he's great in it. Stone's got a lot to say, like he always does. And I think that um, Cruise is great in it. He's, he's simple. He's powerful. He knows exactly what he's doing. And, uh, you know, Stone empathizes with, with uh, Ron Kovic, the Vietnam vet who came back with uh, pretty much paralyzed from the chest down. Empathizes with him. And there's a lot of specificity in, in the film emotionally and historically. And it's a bit like Platoon in that sense. And I like this film a lot. I hate this movie. <laughs> I do. I hate every single solitary second. Why is that? It's just annoying and in your face and it's loud well, and obnoxious. Stone. I know, but it's, it is what You're it is. You're asking Oliver Stone not to be Oliver Stone. Yeah, well, the problem is he, he recently did that and uh, gave us Savages, which is a big dud. So, uh, you know, maybe I'll watch it again and give it a second chance. You know, but he, I will say, I was gl- we talked earlier about upsets. I was thrilled when Driving Miss Daisy upset this. <laughs> I, I was thrilled. You know, some people... Uh, Call Oliver Stone, you know, uh, you know, a, a blowhard, overblown, yeah. that thing. But I think in films like this, he's not really being overblown. He's being impassioned. Okay. I feel he's impassioned. Yeah. Another, the, another John Williams score, by the way, which is just all transitional. It's just all swore, soaring crescendos to get you from one scene to another. It's funny because of all the Oliver Stone films, the one film where you thought. Wow, I cannot wait to see what Oliver Stone does with this film. Yeah, he and he did nothing with it. Was uh, World Trade Center? Yeah, true. When you heard that, when you heard that Oliver Stone was directing World Trade Center, did you think, "Oh my God, this is going to this could be"? Yeah. The, I, I I may hate this film, but he is going to go. He's going to go nuts on this. He did lost his edge. Lost his edge. Well, Savages that didn't that, that seemed that's pretty edgy. Not really. It it really isn't. My my. I'll 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 give you a recap of what I said on the radio. Uh, tequila Scarface, or <laughs> or um, Jules and Jim and Fast and Furious. There you go. That was my summation. Good job. Uh, Being Flynn is a movie that took just freaking forever to actually make it to the screen. It is unbelievable how many iterations this film went through. And I think Dustin Hoffman was attached at one point. Anyway, it winds up with Paul Dano and Robert De Niro as uh, father and son writers who are both just unbelievably screwed up. And uh, Robert De Niro, of course, is the father who's just, you know, he's, he's kind of, he returns like some kind of a half autistic type uh, layabout vagrant who wants his son to give him a give him a shot, and he's really disconnected from life. And the kid Paul Dano is just he's a mess, and he's trying to put his life together. And it's you know the whole thing is just one of these seedy, just self pitying, independent monstrosities that drive me absolutely crazy. Paul White's directed it, and uh, based on the uh, the Nick Flynn memoir that. I just don't really give a crap about. It's based on uh, the book literally entitled Another Bull-Ass Night in uh, Suck City, which obviously is a title that they couldn't use for the film, even though Whites wanted to. And uh, you know what? As, as a Blu-ray, it's just not that impressive. It's not impressively shot as a movie. It's not that spectacular as a Blu-ray. All this beady live pocket blue app stuff is nice, but they clearly know they don't have much because it's only got a featurette on it. So there you go. I, I will say that uh, I felt, although the film is flawed yes. in ways that you ably enumerated, I will say that I really did not... I, I felt that like De Niro almost cared about this character and was actually trying Almost, yeah. for the yeah. first time in a long time. Yeah. He actually really dug in 
And it's been a while since De Niro has dug in and not in one of those, I'm mailing it in, yeah. going by reflex sort of a way. Like, yeah. like Pacino does all the time now. Yeah. Uh, Remains is uh, a terrible low-budget horror film. Uh, this uh, aired on the Chiller Network and is now available on uh, Blu-ray. This is based, as I said, on a graphic novel, which means that uh, you know it's automatically making it to the big screen because you know it's based on a graphic novel, Wade. By law, all graphic novels must become movies. That is true. Yes, this is uh, it's, and it's, that is a law. Actually, it was you know you realize that's buried inside the Affordable Care Act. <laughs> it is that like in those two those two thousand some odd pages they're talking about. Wow, people don't realize that's part of it. That's what that's why when when Nancy Pelosi said we have to pass the law to find out what's in it, I found out what's in it. and That's in it. Isn't that amazing? Did, did she really say got to pass the law to find out what's in it? <laughs> Yes. What kind of things that to say? I mean, everyone knows. Did you really know. said that? You know, and it's one of those things that politicians say when they're kind of off the cuff. And then afterwards, I'm sure she went home and said, oh, geez, why did I say that? Because that's just that's going to wind up on co- political commercials until the end of time. But, oh, yeah. my God. Anyway, okay. uh, Remains so is a go. low-budget zombie film with a no-name cast, and uh, I didn't get it. I didn't like it. I'd rather watch an episode of The Walking Dead. <laughs> um, Kelly McDonald. Uh, Kelly McDonald, who, who does a great voice... Um, in um, yeah. Brave, yeah, she played the voice of the girl in Brave. I love did a Kelly great McDonald. job. I've always loved her. Yep, she was in No Country for Old Men and did a great voice in Brave. Anyway, she stars in this uh, this little low budget nothing called The Decoy Bride, and it's all about uh, this international film <sighs> star is getting married to an author, yeah, and the wedding gets sabotaged by the by the paparazzi, and they decide to, you know, get married in, in, in Scotland, and all sorts of this local girl gets involved. Blah, it's blah, like blah, a decoy blah, bride. Blah. And uh, it's a romantic comedy that is completely and utterly, totally, completely predictable and not funny. Yeah, And yeah. Uh, it's directed by uh, Sherry Folkson, who... Uh, actually, this is done by uh, Hanway Films. Yeah. Hanway Films did this. I know. You know what that means? Yeah. That means nothing. It, it means that it's uh, they sell it at uh, markets and, and <laughs> at a heavy markup. Uh, McKenna shoots for the stars. Woo! Yeah! American Girl! I'm so sick of this stuff. I just I could like scream. Uh, this is a Blu-ray DVD digital copy thing for people who have daughters that I I guess they really don't care about. Uh, this whole American Girl phenomenon, I just I it it gives me like an aneurysm. It total aneurysm. And to make matters worth worse, uh, Nia Vardalos is in it, which is is like to me cancer. And uh, Ian Ziering, who really can't act, and then Kathy Rigby shows up, not looking that great, actually, because this is all about gymnastics, and oh my gosh, it's just so pink and cute, I want to scream. Um, Nia Vardalos should just not be permitted anywhere near a, a movie ever again, not to write in, not to write them, not direct them, not to be in them, just to not have anything to do with them, at least just long enough for me to recover. Um, but I'm sure somebody loves this. You know, this is Universal's answer to all of those crappy Disney films. So I, I you know, somebody's going to have a daughter that will love this thing. And then we also have The Flowers of War, Zhang Yimou's um, epic film about the uh, extru- the devastating Nanjing massacre starring uh, Christian Bale as a guy who masquerades as a priest and uh, winds up uh, kind of inadvertently uh, saving the lives of a number of um, of Chinese people by uh, sort of using the church as a sanctuary. And uh, this is literally the most expensive Chinese film ever made. And uh, there, I thought the recreation of the uh, the siege of Nanjing and the, the atrocities was just extraordinary. I think it's a great companion film. 
City of Life and Death, which uh, also came out roughly around the same time, but was made a couple of years earlier, the black and white Chinese film. So, uh, you know, the Nanjing Massacre is just one of the most horrific uh, incidents in the history of uh, modern warfare, certainly one of the most horrific incidents in, in, the, in the World War II period. And um, it, it's something that, unfortunately, we don't talk a lot about in the West because it was sort of over there. It was uh, between the Japanese and the Chinese. It was before, you know, the engagement with Hitler and Nazism and the Holocaust really became... Uh, the, the centerpiece of the American engagement in the war before, you know, uh, Pearl Harbor. So it's something that we should uh, we should do. Something we should cap- catch up on. Flowers of War, man, on Blu-ray, and it's a great Blu-ray. Didn't like way. it. Loved it. Didn't like it. That's your problem, isn't it? Yes. It got a Golden Globe nomination. Oh, big deal. I can't believe that that that, that, that they somehow mo- they somehow wind up injecting like prostitutes and sex appeal in, in a movie about the uh, N- Nanjing massacre. I, I, it was contrived, and I just didn't like it at all. Um, American Reunion is um, one last dip into the American pie well. Ugh. They're bringing everybody back for one last go-around, which is to say if it did well, they would give us another one. But it didn't do that well, so they're not going to give us another one. I think this is pretty much it for the American pie gang. This is uh, Jason Biggs, Allison Hannigan, Chris Klein... They're 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 domesticated Terry. now. They're all married with kids and stuff. It's, what's the point of that? Eugene Levy. Uh, this is just so tired. Yeah, I know. Oh look, it's outrageous. <laughs> look there, it's a pie. Oh look, it's outrageous. Mark, shall we do the Vox Box? Oh, wrap it up. Should we do Vox Box? Vox Box. Wrap out the show with the Vox Box. Hang on, you ready? Ready. <gasps> it's Vox Box. Hey, Wade and Mark. Chris Claro here. With all the talk you guys do of physical media and DVDs going away, what do you guys see as the future of uh, my favorite parts of the discs, your supplemental materials? Once everything sort of floats away to the cloud, how do you think we're going to get our director's commentaries and the filmmaker interviews and the behind-the-scenes segments? Those are usually the, the, or sometimes, the best part of the disc. Thanks. You know, that is one of the best questions I think we've ever gotten. I like and, that question. And I like it a lot because it's a question that, like, very few people are even asking. Uh, well, look, well, look on, on Netflix, you if you stream it, yeah. you can't stream no. the director's commentary. No. I, uh, this is one reason why, for starters, and this doesn't exactly answer the question, but it, it gets us in the ballpark. This is one reason why I don't think packaged media is going away anytime soon. Why I think they will continue to always have the the option of buying a disc. You'll have your ultraviolet, you know, view anywhere and whatever. They'll, that's not really going to take off, but there will always be some form of streaming and digital copy and whatnot. But you're always going to have the, the Blu-ray, and after the Blu-ray, once we start getting 4K televisions and 2K televisions, then we're going to start getting, you know, the, 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 the new disc, whatever bring, or, or, or whatever new digital flash storage format. It'll probably be something like a flash storage format that brings the movie, you know, in, in a 4K format. You're never going to be able to put like, you know, the the amount of data necessary for a 4K film on a disc, and you'll never be able to spin that disc fast enough to deliver that data stream. But they'll be able to do it with a flash drive. You have some kind of a small piece of flash that's even smaller than a, than a circular disc, and it'll, uh, it'll have, you know, hundreds and hundreds of gigs on it, and you'll be able to put a movie on that. So we'll always have some kind of an option that will give you those supplemental features. 
and those supplemental features will begin to focus more and more and more on the films where it's really worth it. Classic films. Criterion is always going to pioneer that. You're always going to have your Criterion releases. You're always going to have, you know, your Chariots of Fire uh, special edition and your, you know, American Gone, with the, Gone with the Wind. Thank you. Um, but I, I think eventually what's going to happen is it's not going to be about Netflix. I think all the studios, this is my answer to the question. You can disagree if you want. I think all the studios are eventually going to um, dedicate all of the dedicated servers to the films in their libraries. And you're going to have all the supplemental features there as well. And you're going to log on to, say, the Warner Brothers site through the app on your television. You're going to see the movie, and it'll have links to all that supplementary material. And what'll be smart about that is that you'll, you'll have a featurette on, say, um, Doris Day that will link to every movie that Doris Day ever made. So you, this, they'll be able to dedicate in a in kind of a branching way, a much more efficient way, rather than having a, you know the movie on a disc and then all the features on that disc. All that material will simply be linked to whatever movies it all corresponds to. So a lot of the same featurettes will be linked to the same movies, but at least it will be cataloged in such a way that it will be easier to find the supplements rather than expecting them to be attached just to the movie. Well, I would like to see Netflix. Let's say it's Netflix. Yeah. And you want to watch Chariots of Fire. Yeah. Right now, when you want when you want to watch Chariots of Fire, you only have one option. True. Stream the movie. That's it. Yeah. But it would be great if I went on Netflix, I found Chariots of Fire, I clicked on the button, and it gave me a list of things I can watch from that disc. I don't see Netflix ever having the opportunity or the resources or the licensing. They're not. They're not going to do but that. Others might, and the, but, the, the studios might. But when you start getting your portal to Warner Brothers or your portal to Universal or your portal to 20th Century Fox or Disney, then I think you will start to see that kind of supplementary material cataloged in a way that you can more easily find it. Whether it's attached to the movie, whether you want to find it individually, independently, I think that's the direction where a lot of that stuff is going. But I still don't think we're ever going to see the end of packaged media. I really don't. I think people are going to want they're going to want to own their stuff. Well, if it winds up being on a flash drive, I cannot imagine going to Best Buy, whatever Best Buy is going to be in 20 yep. years, and rifling through stacks and stacks of little tiny thumb drives no. to find Chariots of Fire. That's not going to happen. No, but it'll it'll be attached to some kind of a cartridge. You know, that's how it was with games. I mean, those game cartridges back in the day, and even the game cartridges today, it was just a little chip and a bunch of plastic. It was for marketing. That's true. Well, because well, well, they they want it to be big enough on the shelf. That's it. To attract your eye. That's it. All right. With that, we are done. We'll be back next week with more great movies, television, and uh, maybe another Vox box.
You'll be a hit with all the neighborhood kids.